Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. Carla, it is so beautiful to connect with you today for our podcast. I've known you for a long time and it's been just an absolute joy getting to know you and your personal story. What do you do? Let's hear a little bit about you. Hi, Jodie. Yeah, it's beautiful to see you too and lovely to connect. I am a mother of two, Anna and Toby are four and seven years old at the moment. And I am a director of Carla Middleton Architecture and we're a team of five at the moment. And we specialize in high-end architecture and interiors. I started the practice 10 years ago now when little Anna was a baby, crazy enough to do. I have a newborn and start a practice, but that's how life works. And we are in in the beachside um, suburb of Clovelly here in Sydney. I really love my job and I know we have connected and you've helped me a lot in terms of my mindset as a leader and director of CMA. So it's lovely to connect today and um, maybe delve into some of the stuff that we have talked about and helped me with. Yeah. And it's amazing to see you smashing it, you know, in the magazines and your beautiful work and the aesthetic that you show to the world. It just gives me so much joy to see that. It's incredible to see you fly and to see you leverage mindset tools for resilience and high performance, mental health, well-being. So what has been some of the steps along the way, the things that you've experienced to help you in this journey? So we have seen great success quite quickly in starting the practice. I think when I've reflected upon the clients that come to us, they're extremely aspirational people. And what we are asking of them is to engage professionals. So professionals in our field of architecture. I've had a few points along the way where I have felt quite overwhelmed by work and life and business and had to reflect upon what I have, the toolkits around me and the team around me. When I have that expectations of clients to come to us as professionals in architecture, What am I doing in my life to also do the same? And so that meant that when it came to my mental health and well-being, as a mother, we all know that saying of putting the oxygen mask on first, I 
have a team and I need to be a leader and I need to make sure that myself and my well-being and my mental health is as strong as it can be. And so there's been a number of things that I've done in my life since starting the practice to engage professionals such as you to help with my mind strength as a leader and small things such as I'm learning how to meditate. So I learned from the late, great Tim Brown how to meditate transcendental meditation. I have an amazing personal trainer. I have an amazing husband who helps me with the kids and support and nannies. And whilst all of these are great privileges to have and to afford, I got to a point in the practice where I really had to spread my wings and engage as many people around me to help me support to do what I do and love to do because you can't do it all. And I've learned that. 100%. And I love what you're saying about the power of the team and that every leader leverages, every outstanding leader leverages the power of the team and the power of experts around them to Mm. recognize that you can't do it all individually. It is so much about synergy and it's about continual improvement and acknowledging our strengths and acknowledging where support is very, very helpful. That is Mm. so fantastic to hear and as a leader to lead by example. So Mm. what you expect and what you're sharing with your clients is what you're delivering for yourself. That's just really Mm. such a magnificent high-performance habit. What sort of things have been an issue when things have been tricky and you're getting caught up in some challenging stuff? How would you describe that? So I think myself as a person, I've learned a lot about myself recently and that I joke that I'm a big empath. So I have a big heart and I have big feelings and I feel things deeply. When that comes to having a practice, I deeply care about every single client and every single project. And I remember even doing it outside of uni and working for other practices. I used to joke that every house was my baby and that I'd take care of them. And so I have just learned a lot about myself recently and that that is not necessarily a negative thing. So as a child, I remember, and it's no negative thing to my parents or my mother who were beautiful and I had an amazing childhood, but I always got told, oh, you're so sensitive. You're so sensitive, Carla. And you and I, Jodie, we hate the word sensitive because I have learned that I'm not sensitive. I have a big heart and I feel things deeply and that has catapulted me to the success that I have today and that every client that comes through our door knows that I care and I care deeply. And if I didn't have that part of my personality, I don't think I'd have the success that I have today. And so in knowing that about myself and knowing that I feel things deeply, I have learnt over the 10 years of the practice that I have to have tools in my toolkit to not get into a state of overwhelm when I care so deeply about so many things in my life. 100%. And I've got goosebumps hearing you say this. Talk about heart connection and everything that you're saying, as you know, because we've done some wonderful, wonderful things together. And the phrase, you care because you care. You know, if you didn't give a shit, you wouldn't give a shit, right? Mm -hmm. So, the whole superpower of anxiety and Mm -hmm. the essence of what you're talking about is the capacity to bring it back to your heart-driven values. So, getting to the core of the mind strength method is sometimes this care factor can tip into fear drivers and worry stories about a fear of not being good enough because of the amount that you care. 
And when you move it into your values of kindness and care and passion to make a difference in people's lives and look at you fly and changing lives through the bricks and mortar that surround each human being that you work with, this is the essence of success. You've used the term striver's curse. Historically, when we've spoken together, tell me a little bit more about the striver's curse and what that can lead to. So I experienced the striver's curse very early on in the practice. And it's only often with retrospect that you can learn from things. And starting the practice, we had some amazing successes quite early on and it continued to develop. And I experienced lots of successes that followed on from that. And I remember coming to you a few times being like, Jodie, I'm exhausted. I'm feeling burnt out. And I felt like I was on this striver's curse, this treadmill, this of like just constantly looking for the next thing because I almost felt like I was addicted to this sense of striving and achieving and I was burning out as a result of it and it was not sustainable and I had to do some work within my mindset which you helped me to understand and learn and all the things that I've talked about before in terms of my toolkit relying on those and trying to understand the driving forces behind the striver's curse And I have learned deep down it's fear. So I've always wanted to achieve. I have appetite for curiosity. I'm always wanting to broaden my horizon, learn new ways to do architecture, learn, broaden my horizons. But it needs to be coming from my values and not a fear-driven response. That's been a lot of learning for me. But at the same time, it's been a gift to be able to learn that because now I can practice architecture and practice life in a more sustainable manner where I'm not finding that every weekend I'm burnt out and exhausted after my week. 100%. And this is the essence of sustainable high performance and moving from striving to thriving is Mm. taking it to that deeper level and Mm. thinking about what is driving your behavior at any particular moment. Are you being driven by the deficit mindset, which is fear drivers of what if I'm not good enough? What if they judge me negatively? What if, what if, what if those worry stories into recognizing and having clarity on your values around valuing care and kindness, valuing achievement, valuing performance, but ultimately the pivot is moving from a focus on I must have the perfect outcome to I'm going to give my best effort within the time frame that I have available and within the boundaries that you're setting yourself. Mm. And in the profession of architecture, this is a challenging pivot, right? Because mm. it can be tempting to get caught up in I must be perfect in order to be mm. good enough. Mm. And I think um, we've talked about it before and, and all the work around the striver's curse and I think it all comes back down and I and I don't mean to be critical about the School of Architecture, but I think university had a big place to play in damaging me as a person and what I've learned about how I feel things and how I take things on board. And so studying architecture was extremely grueling. It's a five-year course and you go into studios of design studios and you design based on a brief and your assignment. And then there is this culture and I understand it probably builds resilience where you pin up your design and you sit in front of all your classmates within your studio and your tutor and some other external amazing architects that they bring in and everyone criticizes your work. You stand up there 
and people talk about but mainly focus on the criticisms there's very rarely the balance of compliments and what you've done well. And I was raised by two amazing parents, my mum, and they both had their own businesses and I watched them succeed. But my mum's actually an art teacher and I watched her through every classroom with art in saying to her little kids, no mistake is a mistake. It's room to grow on. And she always came home with like all of her kids won every ward out of the kids art express because she created an environment where the kids felt really nurtured to be creative and explore and not focus on the mistakes and see what they can build from that that was kind of how I was raised in that environment with those values and then to go into the school of architecture where criticism was rife and you had to stand up and you know you're a young adult so already your temperament is still learning about all of that was so damaging and it's only now after learning about you know having my own practice and where is this driver's curse come from where is this fear of achieving and being criticized um, coming from and so learning about that and doing that work with you because I didn't know I didn't know that that's where it came from but like retrospectively you can learn about this and oh okay well that makes sense that makes sense Isn't that fascinating? And it's interesting that the reparative relationship is a retrospective reparative relationship to be able to reflect on your magnificent mum, the outcomes that she achieved by focusing in on the good stuff and helping to just really build that passion. And obviously that passion evolved in you through that beautiful role modeling. But what you're describing creates trauma pathways that trauma pathway, that brainstem pathway to that hijacking amygdala that says mistakes mean something catastrophic is going to happen, that can be debilitating, that can be paralyzing. So it's, it's really interesting. And now, fortunately, in the world of high performance, we know the power of a growth mindset and we know the power of psychological safety to facilitate, to drive high performance. The essence of what your mom was doing in the beautiful work that she was doing. I'm so happy to hear that you were able to reflect on that reparative relationship because when we go through traumatic life experiences, it is the power of leaning into new learning and new relationships that can be liberating from trauma. And you also, like I, in delving into it with you and learning more about it, it has made my practice so much stronger because I have learned that human mistakes, human error is around us every day. It is inevitable. Everyone talks, oh, you're an architect, you must be a perfectionist. Well, we have perfectionistic traits and I'm not going to sell that as something that's part of our practice. And I'm not a perfectionist because mistakes do happen. And my husband's um, actually a pilot and he taught me a lot about there's human error in aeroplanes. So, you know, they do a lot of research, they look at where there are errors on aeroplanes and they have the Swiss cheese analogy. So there's all these holes in the Swiss trees and where you overlap that as a team and as a company to avoid the human error occurring has really helped me in our practice because I put so many amazing procedures, checklists, really building in on the practice about the things that we do to, so that we 
try to avoid human error at all costs, but sometimes it slips through and that's okay and that's part of life. I've been able to take action out of some of those fear-driven worry stories that I've had about making mistakes and know that I have a very tight system in the practice to avoid it at all costs. And if it happens and it slips through, then that's life. But we have put in actions in place to try and minimize it as much as possible. Absolutely. Testament to high performance. And I love that you mentioned your husband and the Air Force, his job as a pilot and this whole culture in uh, flying and whether it's sort of military or whether it's in our day-to-day flying, a culture of a growth mindset and a culture of deep psychological safety where if mistakes were pushed under the carpet or if mistakes, if we felt shame around mistakes, there would be planes falling from the sky all over the place because it's all about being open, being transparent to bring it into a space of a value of continual improvement and constant progress, constant learning, which is so incredibly important, which is exactly what you're describing and what you're implementing, which is not an easy thing to do, but it sounds like you're doing it so, so beautifully. Definitely the boring side of architecture. There's much more fun things (laughs) (laughs) It's the power of systems and process, right, to enable high performance, but also to enable scale around that, which is lovely to see that that's what you're achieving as well. So Carla, speaking of your husband and family, I'd love to go back. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal story and some of the other experiences that have been pivotal in your evolution as a human being. Yeah. So three years ago during COVID, when we were all in lockdown, my husband had a cardiac arrest. So like I said, he's an airline pilot, super healthy, just turned 40 and was doing a workout on the back deck. And luckily we were all home in lockdown and I found him and he was yeah in a very bad state. Um, let's just say he wasn't very alive at all. Just reflecting on that moment of being a very self-aware human being, I don't think I would have found him that day if I wasn't aware or very in tune with my surroundings. And because we had two little kids, I was busy, I was making coffee that, you know, I got to him looking back quite quickly. And so when I did get to him, I performed CPR with the help of our neighbours for 12 minutes, I think it was, I performed CPR on him with no CPR training and he survived. Um, He needed three shocks with a defibrillator. We lost him quite a few times with, with the paramedics and he's alive today and he's really healthy. So it was one of the most terrifying days of my life. I'm extremely reflective on the experience and quite amazed of the effect of the body when it goes into that fight or flight experience. So when I found him, I knew when I would reflect at dinner parties and you have these chats with friends like, oh, what would you do if burglar kind of came in your house? Would you like run or would you defend your family? And I always used to joke that I'd just run. Like I was just terrified. There's no way in the world I would ever face someone like that. It's too risky. But I went into such a high state of performance in that moment. I was laser sharp. I, you know, 
dropped all external sounds and requirements. I, I had my, my daughter was there, unfortunately, and she was three years old at the time and she was running around and screaming. And I actually had zoned that out. It was only neighbours that kind of in a very sad manner talked about how how hard it was for her on that moment. So I've had to do a lot of healing about that. And we've talked about that a lot because I have a lot of guilt around not being able to be there for Anna. Um, but gosh, laser sharp, you know, like I did CPR on Chris and only realised in the emergency room that I had all my knuckles were raw, all my toes were raw, my knees were raw from like just hardcore compression to keep Chris alive. And I didn't even notice it at that time. So I went into such a state of focus. You hear of amazing people, you know, lifting bridges for their loved one. I felt that that day. It was an incredible part of your body that now I have so much respect for. Like our body is so powerful and our mind is so powerful. And, you know, I have a lot of love for that part of what we call as anxiety, right? It's fight or flight. It's just a natural response and it's there to protect us. And it's powerful and it's something to have so much respect for. And and I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud because it saved my husband and it saved my kid's father that day. A hundred percent, Carla. And how incredible to hear you share this and to help people who are listening, who are watching to recognize that this fight or flight reaction and the amygdala that hijacks our brain and mm. that there's so much hate for it because it causes mm. so much pain and suffering in day-to-day anxiety and when it overplays, when we move into worry stories or perceived threat. However, when you describe the purpose it serves, that real threat and what adrenaline does, how it narrows your focus and gets you into survival mode to be able to respond with incredible resilience when you need it, mental toughness when you need it, incredible what you Mm. did. And laser sharp. There was a moment where I found Chris Obviously, I was screaming and hysterical, screaming out for help. But there was a moment where I looked at him and I said, I have a choice right now because I didn't have my phone to call triple zero. And I knew I had to lay him down and leave him. So when you find a loved one, to be able to leave them and walk away from them in that moment when you know that they're extremely unwell, I knew that I had to put him down and go and get my phone and call triple zero and then start CPR. Like I have no training in this, by the way. (laughs) My brain had laser sharp precision to actually be able to think in that moment and be able to make those really critical decisions is so powerful as a message that I want to portray as we talk about this. But also, it has given me so much confidence as a leader, as a mother, as somebody that loves their job in really having a lot of respect for how the brain works and whether we suffer from anxiety or whatever, it is there for a reason. And I hope that we can all learn from it and try to use it in our strengths Absolutely. And if we talk about trauma and the experience of trauma, what is so incredibly important to work through that so people can respond with resilience 
in the immediate term, but also in the long term, mm. because the brain, as an anxiety expert, the reason I love this space is because when you understand neuroscience and when you can understand our primitive drivers as human beings and the logic of it and the illogic of it, you can just help people to move into high performance habits and well-being habits and resilience and mental health because it is so logical. With trauma, there are things that are helpful and there are things that are unhelpful. What have you learned along the way about the unhelpful and then the helpful? It took me a long time to heal from the trauma and it still does. It it takes a lot of work, but you have a choice, I think is the most important thing that I need to say, is that you have a choice in your mindset to choose whether or not you want the trauma to take over your life or you want to learn from the trauma and see the gift that can come from trauma. I remember standing in the ICU and someone came up to me and said, on the night of the event, mind you, said, what happened to Chris today will be a gift. I literally wanted to pick them up and throw them across the room. It sounds like this is no gift. But in retrospect, and three years now, has been a gift. It has been a gift for the way that my I choose to live my life but my family choose to live their life and the domino effect, effect that it has had on the people around us in our community. So no longer do we sweat the small stuff. You know, everyone talks about putting family first. We always did, but not to this same degree that we choose to live our life every day in knowing that life can change in a split second. But in saying that, the negatives of trauma, I spent a good year in a very, very bad place. And so as my husband, we've had to do a lot of work and a lot of healing. You get lots of triggers when you suffer with trauma and lots of worry stories and lots of flashbacks. But again, going back to our conversation early on, I knew that I had to engage professionals to help us through this. And we did from the very beginning and we have even with my daughter. I think that is super important to reach out and get the help that you need. These are things that are very powerful. And there were so many parts of my brain that, you know, you have worked with me in great detail about, you know, that hijacking on that freeway. You know, I can hear a siren because I sat on the back deck doing CPR, waiting for those sirens to get down to my house. I was very triggered for the first year with a a siren. And it still does, when I do hear it, it sparks something, but I am finding hijacking in that highway is not as overwhelming as it used to be. So I used to get a fast heart rate. I could feel the physiological reactions to the triggers um, and those have subsided because of the work that I've done in trauma. Thank you for that share and really so beautiful to be able to lean into your experience in order to help others. And I know that you're passionate about sharing your story in order to help other people who have experienced traumatic life experiences. There's a couple of things that you've touched on there, Carla, that are so powerful. One is the power of post-traumatic growth. And, you know, certainly in my experience as a professional and also in my personal experience and what you're describing, I would say that one of the most powerful things to go through to facilitate alignment to your values and not sweating the small stuff and focusing in on the things that are the most important in life is post-traumatic growth. 
that says Mm -hmm. life is precious. How can you embrace life mindfully to focus in on the things that matter most, which is what you've described? The other is the power of scientifically supported therapy for trauma. And so for people listening, if you have experienced a traumatic life experience, it's incredibly important to recognize that you are worth seeking out the help that you deserve and to not suffer in silence. Because Mm -hmm. when we push those experiences down, they have a habit of popping up in quite imposing ways. But Mm -hmm. with evidence-based therapy, rescripting therapy, reprocessing, and other scientifically supported modalities to help process trauma, it can be liberating and help people to really flourish. Profound. And I was very frightened when it did happen and I was suffering with a lot of flashbacks and trauma. And if anyone's listening and they are in that mode, I thought that I was alone and that I would suffer in that place for the rest of my life. And it was terrifying and it was exhausting and it was all consuming. And to let people know that I don't feel like that anymore. And that's three years. And I think within a year, I seeked out the help and you have to do the work. And it's not fun and it's not nice going in and and basically, you know, um, the work that I had to do was reliving a lot of it and re-scripting it in my brain. There were so many other things that I wish I was doing in that moment, but it is a long-term gain that you get from that short-term pain of doing the work with people that know what they're doing is so important. And it's a big message that I would love to portray. Thank you for sharing that. What I love about what you're saying is really when we're talking about high performance. Uh, We're talking about flourishing, living your best life. And whether it's in a professional context or in a personal context. And what I personally love as a high performance coach and as a clinical psychologist is that we don't need to think about mental health and well-being as a bolt-on to high performance or as this kind of thing in a leadership world or in a high performance world that is kind of this warm and fuzzy kind of thing that we tack on to high performance. (laughs) I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. If we think about the pillars, the mind strength coaching pillars, let's say, or any pillars of high performance, mental health and well-being and mindset and resilience and building outstanding leaders and teams and business strategy and all the rest of it, right? What are your thoughts about the space of mental health and well-being and the whole concept or context of high performance? Oh, it's so important. It's so important. So I think going back and starting with your values as a person and then within the work that you do too and always being led by that rather than fear or any other hijacking worry story that might take over. And so some of the pillars that I see in my personal life, and I think I'll probably um, focus on my practice, is that it's really 
the things that come through on a daily basis with my team and I. So I know based on my experience in architecture that doing long hours was always something that was part of architecture and part of the culture in every other practice. You know, overtime was always expected. You do long nights, um, unpaid. I'd always go in on the weekend and do some work. And so when I started CMA, I had a very strong focus and I wanted to lead as an example in that I didn't want to anyone to do any overtime and I wanted to make sure that all of my team's well-being was just as important as my own well-being in that I would put things in place in the practice to ensure that that's there. So I am very proud to say that my team work from nine to six or whatever their hours are because we have flexible hours and I'm very proud of that because I've done a lot of work as their leader and with our studio managers to make sure that the work that we have assigned and that we have to to do is within a well-balanced day and we're not expecting anyone to do overtime or to stay late or to come in on the weekends. Obviously, deadlines pop up here and there and I see my team, they're more than happy to do that because I love seeing them leave and go for a surf or have a break at lunchtime and go for a swim and they watch me on a daily basis practice my meditation and I know Tim Brown always said that, you know, you have to lead by example, Carla, and I do that even in my in parenting children that I always show them that mommy needs to meditate or I need to go and do some exercise or I need to go and see my friends. You have to lead by example and that's what I'm doing at the moment to make sure that those core pillars behind my family life and my practice are there. A hundred percent and that time to reflect and journal and carve out space are so fundamental. Well-being is so not a bolt-on to high performance. It's absolutely critical to high mm. performance. It's different for everyone. So I, that is something that I also, so meditation might not be for somebody and and you can't force that upon somebody else. You just have to lead it for an example of what it is for yourself that you need to do to be able to have balance in your life. And that might be different for all different people and that's okay. But just doing it on a daily practice is extremely important to me. And and I think what you put out to the world, what's brought up to you in the world. So if I am showing my team that I need to do meditation or I need to do something to make sure that I get the best out of myself, then I have noticed that they will find whatever that is in their life that they need to do because I'm setting that example. Absolutely. And what about the role of mastering your mindset in the world of high performance? What are some of the key messages that you would love to share to people in the industry that you're in or just other leaders generally? I think delegating and letting go of control has been something that I've been learning recently and I think it's quite profound Um, and I think it also it plays in with that worry story. You've got to control and you have to do everything. You can't do everything and by delegating and letting go and making sure that you have an amazing team around you, whether it's, you know, your team at work, an amazing partner that you pair up to do life with, a community that you engage with, it's making sure that you delegate and make sure that you're surrounded by amazing people. Yeah, absolutely. That role of sitting with the discomfort of uncertainty. 
and letting go and delegating, not abdicating, but delegating because it's, it's strategically driven. It's front and center high performance is recognizing that that is something that is absolutely essential in your work as a leader. Carla, you have shared so many things today, such beautiful transparency to be able to help others. I'd love to know, have there been any books that you have read along the way or individuals you have heard from that you think would be helpful or have been helpful in your path to high performance? Good question. Without being cliche, a death like your book, Dr. Jody, is incredible. And it's something that I have doggy tagged and reference a lot. And I probably haven't told you that enough, but I do. Is it Kirsten Neff who you put me in touch with? Yeah, Mindful Self-Compassion, Kristen Neff. Yeah, she's amazing. That book has been really helpful for me. Yes. Just wrapping yourself in your own self-talk. What you say to yourself is also what you express externally. So working on my self-talk has been profound. Yeah. I think one of the people that inspires me every day is my husband. I think he's amazing, you know, what he has been through and how much it has changed his life. So he hasn't been able to fly again since his cardiac arrest. He's still working on trying to put a safety case together for that. But the man wanted to be a pilot since he was three years old. And every day he lives with his cup half full absolutely and to think that his life was flipped upside down and he doesn't get to do what he loves to do every single day and he still lives with such vitality and happiness and such an amazing mindset so he is one of the people that I admire the most and really think it's a true testament to how you choose to think about your life and the strength in that and it's something hard it's hard he battles with it all the time he doesn't throw a pity he he does every now and then we definitely went through periods where he did but life is very short and it's there and you you have the choice to live it or not I think he's amazing that is so beautiful what a team you are that's just exceptional absolutely Mm -hmm. the power to choose how you respond to a situation as the essence of resilience absolutely what he is living at the moment Carly, you've you've shared so many helpful things already today for so many people. Are there any other key messages or things that you would love to share for people who are experiencing anxiety in this ever so chaotic world that we exist in? What are some of the things that you would love to share with people to help them through the anxiety that they might be experiencing? I think one of the key messages is that you're not alone. So many people experience anxiety and to open up and to talk to people is really important and you'll be surprised how many people are processing it and dealing with it and have some tips. So I have a few hot tips that I have learnt along the way and that would be to engage professionals. It's something, you know, you don't go to the dentist, you don't clean your own teeth and try to be a dentist, so why would you do the same for your mind? Also to value your own self-talk and to be really kind to yourself and wrap yourself in empathy and kindness when it comes to your self-talk and and you can change the way that you talk to yourself. And whatever the toolkit is, find your toolkit. Mine has meditation, exercise, family and friends, getting out into nature. I'm lucky enough to live by the beaches. Find whatever those 
tools in your kit are and go back to really find the things that bring you joy. I would also love to also pass on the message to please everyone try and learn their CPR. It's um, it's a skill that is so important and I've learned the gift that it can bring. I'm very grateful to have that. So if I could pass that message on too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, values aligned vigilance is learn your CPR, which is a skill that we all really should know. Absolutely. And such beautiful wisdom that you have shared today, Carla. It has been an absolute joy. We could talk for hours and hours. Power to you. And it's a thrill to see you go from strength to strength. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Take care. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.